Well, good morning, Hillcrest, and anyone else that might be watching um, or listening to the sermon even on SoundCloud. I want to welcome you this morning. I'm glad that you are worshiping with us. Uh, If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be throughout the entire month of May. We're going to study through the book of Philippians, uh, with the exception of next week, which is May 10th, and that's Mother's Day. I'm going to preach a Mother's Day sermon. Um, But aside from that, we're going to study through the book of Philippians, and we'll be in a different chapter of Philippians each week. So a little context behind uh, the book of Philippians, or rather it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in a city called Philippi. Philippi is a, is a city, was a Roman colony found in ancient Greece. You can actually still go there and see the ruins of that city today. Um, but the Apostle Paul, so a little background behind the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees in Jesus' day were the religious teachers of the Old Testament. A guy like Paul probably would have had the entire Old Testament memorized. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, they did not like Jesus. And Paul was one of those. Paul did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. He did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul opposed Christians, people like you and me. He hated them. He helped start the great persecution of the early church. Paul was a guy who hunted down Christians. Paul pulled Christians out of their homes against their will, had them beaten, thrown in jail, and even cast his vote against them um, in favor of their own execution. So Paul was a murderer. Paul was a violent man, and Paul was a, was a man who was filled with a lot of anger. He hated Christians, and he went out of his way to hunt down people like you and me, throw them in jail, and even have them killed. Paul would actually later in his life as a Christian would say that before he met Jesus, he identified himself as the worst of all Christians. He said he was the worst, or excuse me, he was the worst of all sinners. That's how Paul identified his life before he met Jesus. And the truth is, Christians, we're talking about people like you and me, if you're a Christian, they were terrified of Paul, and rightfully so. However, one day, Paul was on his place to this place, or Paul was on his way to a city called Damascus to, you guessed it, hunt down more Christians and beat them and have them thrown in jail. But on his way to Damascus, Paul encounters Jesus, and his whole life changed because that's what happens when you encounter Jesus. Your life is changed forever. Jesus changes people's lives, and the transformation of Paul's life, it actually proves two things. Nobody is beyond saving, and God can and desires to use anyone for his glory and to make his gospel known throughout the entire earth. It does not matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done in previous years in your life. It doesn't matter maybe all of the horrible things that you've done and said throughout the history of your life. God writes all wrongs and gives you a clean slate when you believe in the name of Jesus. So if Christ is in you, you're a new person, and he will use you in amazing ways for the spread of the gospel. The question is this, though. Are you open to being used by God the way the Apostle Paul was? Paul was open for being used by God, and Paul was obedient to the call that God had on his life. And so Paul writes this letter to this Philippian church, which roughly was probably about 10 years after he planted the church. Philippi was, was a Roman colony. It was actually referred to or known as Little Rome. So the city or the Roman colony of Philippi actually resembled the actual city of Rome itself. And Paul took the most hated, the most opposed, the most persecuted message in the known world to a Roman colony filled with Roman soldiers and Roman people. Not exactly the best place to share 
this message. But Paul did it because God called him there. And Paul was always obedient to the call God had on his life. So as Paul writes this letter, it's also interesting to know, when Paul's writing this letter, he's actually in a Roman jail cell, most likely chained to a Roman guard. And the church in Philippi actually sends a man by the name of Epaphroditus to encourage Paul to take gifts to Paul and to check up on his status. And so when Paul sends this letter back with Epaphroditus, back to the church, he, he's basically saying various things to this church. Number one, he's saying he wants to thank them and for their support and their love, which we'll get back to. He's thanking them for their partnership in the gospel, but he's also thanking them for the, for the news, or he's actually informing them on the news of his current situation. Paul's in jail, most likely chained to a Roman guard. And then there's a couple of other things Paul addresses in this letter, like the division that's occurring in the church. They're disagreeing on certain doctrine, but Paul also is encouraging them, encouraging them and, and reminding them of, of the joy that is found in Christ despite any circumstances. So Paul writes, despite division in the church, despite disagreements that may be occurring in the church, Paul says, you guys need to unite around the gospel and you need to persevere in Christ. Which, by the way, Paul's re- refer, Paul refers to this, this joy that is found in Christ anywhere, depending on the uh, translation that, that you have, anywhere from 11 to 15 times, and even up to 20 times, depending on how the word might be related to the word joy. So joy is important in this letter because if you have the gospel, you have joy. And when you focus on the gospel, you get unity. And these are two different elements, uh, unity and joy, that play a huge part in the success and the health of a church. And so in essence, the purpose of this letter is to highlight joy. Yes, joy is possible in any situation and in every circumstance, no matter how bad, or through any suffering or form, a form of suffering or any trial. Christians can actually have joy because of Jesus. That's why Jesus' brother James writes in James 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because joy is found in Christ. No matter the circumstances, you can actually still have joy even in the worst of times or the worst of circumstances in your life. And Paul, if anybody ever made that evident, it was Paul in his life. Despite his circumstances, despite the current situation Paul was in, as he's writing this letter, Paul shows us that as a Christian, you cannot have joy if you don't have Christ. You can't have one without the other. But ultimately, ultimately what this letter does is, is it, it, it exalts the name of Jesus and the person of work of Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of our souls, the Lord over all the universe. Jesus is the sovereign God over all things who right now in this moment sustains all things by the power of His Word, Hebrews 1 tells us. So this is where we find ourselves. This is what's happening in the background as Paul writes this letter. And here's where we're going to start. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Timothy, who's Timothy? Timothy was one of Paul's companions on some of his missionary journeys. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Paul mentored and taught Timothy. Timothy was even with Paul as he first, or when he first went to Philippi. So when Paul opens up this letter, he says, me, myself, and Timothy, we are servants of Christ. Well, the word servant here, it actually means slave in the Greek. So why would Paul refer to himself as a slave? What's that about? Well, I love what Paul actually says in another letter that he wrote 
to another church in the church at Rome. Paul writes this in Romans 6, starting in verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have, you have been set free from sin and have, and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of, Paul says. Those things result in death. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Paul would actually tell us in Philippians chapter 3 his background. Paul says, out of all of the Pharisees, I was the cream of the crop. I was more zealous than all of them. I was the best and top of my class. My dad was a Pharisee. I grew up destined for greatness. I learned from the best. And as for righteousness, I was flawless. I kept it almost perfectly. But then Paul says, he would go on, that I no longer glory in my religion. My zeal is for the gospel. I see the world through the lens of this gospel. My allegiance is to Jesus, not to Caesar, because I'm a slave to Christ. Sin has no mastery over me. Jesus Christ is my master. This is what Paul is declaring at the very beginning of his letter. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Your allegiance is not to Jesus, but to the things of this world. This is what you need to, to ask yourself. Is my allegiance to the things in this world to the wants that I have in this world, or is my allegiance to Jesus Christ himself? You know, today in 2020, for someone to say I'm a slave to Christ, it, it kind of has this sexy ring to it. It's a, it's a popular saying. It means, look, I really, really love Jesus, and I'll do anything for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. But to say that you are a slave to Jesus, that your allegiance is to Jesus, and in, in the day of Paul, especially in a place like Philippi, could get you killed. To say that your, your allegiance was to Jesus and not to Caesar, and those are grounds for execution. So Paul starts out this letter by saying, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a slave to Christ. You have to understand that many people did not believe that Jesus was who he said he, he is. People didn't believe that he actually raised from the dead. People did not believe that Jesus was God himself. And so for, for Paul to say, I'm a slave to Jesus, my master and allegiance is to Christ. It's like Paul saying, I'm a slave to a dead man. But Paul says, my master is Jesus. My allegiance is to the God of the universe, the one who conquered sin and conquered death and rose from the grave. And Paul says, if his grace is good enough to save me from my sins, then his grace is sufficient enough for me to sustain me no matter the circumstance. And Paul would go on, and the greeting of this letter said, and his peace is real. And I pray God's peace is with you, even in trying times. And Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi, as well as the overseers and deacons. That's the leaders of the church. This is how Paul states 
his current situation, who he believes he is as a servant of Jesus. I'm a slave to the master and the king of the universe. What a greeting. It, 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 it says a lot more than just dear Philippi, doesn't it? So Paul goes on in verse 3 and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. You know, Paul himself was responsible for starting and planting a lot of different churches. In fact, if you go and read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul had three different missionary journeys. Three different times a local church sent Paul out, not, not just Paul, but him and other men, sent them out to start and plant other churches to take the gospel to places where it had never been. And Paul was maybe better than anybody at this. He was an amazing church planner. He was an amazing evangelist. He was an amazing preacher. He was great, fantastic at sharing the gospel, but he never did it alone. There was actually a church in this place called Antioch. It's where uh, it's the church that we know, it's called the church at Antioch. This was like their home base. And it was the church in Antioch, or it was Antioch, the city where Christians, this is what you and I are, we identify ourselves as Christians. This was the place for the first time in history where Christians were actually and first identified as Christians. And so the church at Antioch, they laid hands on Paul. They laid hands on others. They prayed over them, and then they sent them out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul, this is important, Paul never labored for the gospel on his own. In fact, if you read again through the entire book of Acts, you will see that Paul was never on his own. He was never on his own. He always had a companion or companions with him. And so when Paul started this church in Philippi, he wasn't alone. He had Timothy and another man named Silas with him. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. If you identify yourself as a Christian, but you do not attend a church, like if you don't spend any time with other Christians, then I would, I would submit to you that you're not living out biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is not done by yourself. Biblical Christianity is not done alone. Biblical Christianity, Christianity is lived out together. We are the body of Christ. We labor for the sake of the gospel together, not alone. And so if you're watching this or listening to this, whether you attend Hillcrest or whether you attend another church, if you are not involved in like a small group or a community group or a life group or whatever it's called at your church, like if you don't have a group of people that can support you and come around you and do life with you, like when times get tough and circumstances go bad and you feel like the world is against you, you feel like maybe you're losing grip on your finances, you're losing grip on your marriage, you're losing grip on, on how to control and, and parent your kids. Like if you don't have a group of people in your local church that you can call up in an instance, they will be there for you. They will come along, alongside of you and be by your side and help you and pray for you and help you financially, whatever the case is. If you do not have people at your church, I want to tell you that you need people. Jesus does not want you to live the Christian life on your own. And Jesus does not want you. And nowhere in the Bible does it say, follow me by yourself. Jesus wants us, he wants you, he wants me to follow him with a group of people called the body of Christ. You are not meant to live the Christian life alone. You are meant to live it with people. And so if you are not involved in a local church and you live in McKinney, Texas, then I want to invite you to come to Hillcrest Christian Church. But if you don't live in McKinney, Texas, and somehow you're watching or listening to this, then get a hold of us somehow, some way, and we will help you get involved and get plugged in to a local church. You are not meant to live the Christian life on your own. The guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, this great evangelist and preacher and church planner, he did not take the gospel to the ends of the earth by himself. He did it with other people. And so when Paul plants this church in Philippi, he meets some people along the way. 
to actually help him establish this church in Philippi. Again, he didn't do it on his own. One of the people that he encounters is a woman named Lydia. So one of the things that Paul did everywhere he went when he took the gospel to these different places, he would always go into the synagogues. This is where the religious teachers, the Pharisees, like him, would teach the Old Testament law. Paul would go into those synagogues and start preaching the gospel, and oftentimes he'd get himself beaten up and kicked out of the synagogue. Well, Philippi, history tells us that Philippi didn't actually have a synagogue, but Paul heard about a prayer gathering gathering that a a group of women were uh, conducting down by a river. No, I didn't say a van down by the river. I said prayer down by the river. And so Paul meets these women down by the river. They're, again, having a prayer gathering. And Paul does what Paul always did. He preached the gospel. And guess what? This woman named Lydia believes. Look what it says in Acts 16, verse 14 and 15. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So that's pretty awesome. But it actually gets better than that because it says, it would go on to tell us that Lydia's entire household, household, her whole family believed in the gospel and were baptized. So these Christians, there were other men and other women that Paul encountered along the way in his, at his, uh, during his first trip in Philippi that helped him establish this church. Lydia wasn't the only one. So these Christians in Philippi became very dear to Paul's heart. These were the people that weren't just acquaintances with Paul. They were his family. Because when you become a Christian, you are now entering into a, a global, worldwide family of God where people who identify themselves as Christians, they become your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now this means the entire world, by the way, the entire world, wherever there are Christians, whatever country it is, it does not matter. They are our family. And we all have brothers and sisters all across the globe. And Paul loved these Christians in Philippi very much. And these Christians in Philippi loved Paul very much. And so when Paul prayed for them, he says he's thankful. His mind is instantly filled with the memories of them um, that led to joyful prayers on their behalf. Paul's thinking back, hey, I remember the, the day when I first met you, when we first partnered in the gospel together, like the memories that we had, the, the sweat, the blood, the tears during the process of us planning the church. I'm remembering that in my mind and it's giving me joy in my heart, even in the worst of circumstances. A guy by the name of Kent Hughes said, Paul rarely thanked God for things. Paul thanked God for people. So Paul, no doubt, had communion and close intimacy with Christ, but Paul had a deep love for these Christians in Philippi. They had an intimate relationship. They were close. They weren't just acquaintances. They were family. And Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. The language that Paul is is using here, he's saying, when I remember you before the holy God of the universe, I pray for you, and it brings me joy. I don't know if you know this about Mr. Rogers. Yes, the famous Mr. Rogers, but Mr. Rogers would keep pictures of all the people that he met, and along that picture, along with that picture, he would attach a prayer card to it. So every time he would look at that picture of that person. He was able to, mem- uh, to remember the memories that he had with that person or maybe a conversation that he, he had with that person. And he would attach a prayer card to that picture of that person so he could pray for them on their behalf every time he went to prayer before God. My wife, a few years ago, bought me a handmade prayer board for my birthday. And on this, it was a big, it's a big wooden prayer board, and it says prayer on it, and it has a bunch of different clothespins on it. Well, it's amazing because I put it on the wall and I can attach either pictures of people 
that I've met or that I know and pictures of or, or index cards with prayer requests on it. That way I can pray for people every time I walk past that board or every time I want to have a time of prayer. I don't just have to do it uh, mindlessly, not knowing who or what to pray for. I have stuff on that board that I know to pray for. How often do you and I tell people we're going to pray for them? How often do people ask us to pray for them? And we say, yeah, absolutely, I'll pray for you. And I think that we mean well, but we don't pray for them. Why? Because we forget. If we don't pray for them in that moment, it's likely that we will forget. At least it is for me. So I need something like a prayer board, something where I can put attached pictures to it and index cards that remind me of a person that maybe I've met or has started a relationship with or maybe a prayer request that they gave me that I can continue to pray for them on their behalf when I go to prayer um, with God. This is what Paul the Apostle did. So in troubling times, praying for our loved ones, praying for our friends, praying for our family members, our, our church family, it, it gives us a fresh perspective and it and actually strengthens our own faith and helps us endure those hard times. This is the example Paul's giving us and this is what Paul is telling them as he writes this letter. Paul remembers his friends and it gave him joy even in troubled times. Oftentimes when we experience difficult times, when we face trials, we we typically think about all of the things that are wrong in that situation instead of being grateful and, and expressing gratitude for what God has done in our life and what God has put in our life, the, the people that God has put in our lives. And so Paul gives us this example. Paul could have had the worst of attitudes, but Paul says, I am grateful, I am expressing gratitude because of the relationship and the friendship and the family that we are and because of the work that we've done and how we've partnered together in the gospel. It brings me joy when I remember you. So Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Why does he do this? Well, it says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The kind of partnership um, in the gospel that that Paul had with this church in Philippi, it wasn't a a business transaction. Uh, This church did financially support um, Paul's mission, and we see that. Paul actually tells us in chapter 4, he says, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So this church did financially support the mission of Paul, but it wasn't just the relationship that they had. It's already clear in this letter. It wasn't just like a business transaction. So when when the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to greet Paul and actually take him gifts, one of the things that Epaphroditus did not give Paul was a blank check. Paul was not sitting in a jail cell with a blank check saying, I'm going to I'm going to write on here a million dollars in whatever his currency is. And then when I get out of jail, I'm going to build a house on a beach. And every morning when I wake up, I'm going to have my morning devos right there, oceanfront view with my cappuccino. That's not what got Paul through the worst of times in his life. Because Paul, number one, he knew he was probably not going to get released from jail. And two, he knew, well, the Church of Philippi didn't have a million dollars to offer him. So a blank check would do no good for Paul. No, what Paul, what got Paul through the worst of circumstances, through the most difficult days of his life, was the love that they had for each other, the work that they did for the sake of the gospel, the friendships that they had began, and the relationships that he still had, the the way that this church had supported Paul throughout his entire mission work. That's what sustained Paul, even in the worst of times. So often in our Western world, we think money solves all of our problems. If I just had enough money, then I could do this. If, If I just had enough money, I could get myself out of this situation. We allow money to determine our happiness. But the reason that Paul has so much joy in this situation, when he prays for his friends, it's not because of the money that they gave him. 
The money didn't sustain Paul. It was the partnership and the gospel that sustained him. The word here in Greek for partnership is koinonia, koinonia which, which oftentimes is translated fellowship. It has a variety of different meanings. Here it's, it's saying sharing or giving to. This isn't a, a relationship where it's just receiving, just receiving. They are giving to each other. They are sharing in the partnership that they have in the gospel. This, is, this isn't just a give and get kind of relationship. This is a, we are all in this together. We're all in the same thing. We want to bring glory to God, bring glory to Jesus for the sake of the gospel together. We are in this for the same thing. D.A. Carson, who's a New Testament scholar, says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to shared vision. So the word partnership here means both gospel-centered partner, or friendship as well as a shared mission of proclaiming the gospel. So in other words, Paul and this church in Philippi, they've partnered together for what? The spread of the good news, the gospel. Like their vision Their ultimate goal is to share the good news that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that He was God in the flesh who died on the cross for the sins of the world, that all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the good news. That's the partnership that Paul and this church in Philippi have together. They want to share the good news all over the world. And so the church in Philippi actually partnered with Paul in various different ways, not just financial support, but other ways. They They did support Paul financially, but there are other ways that they partnered with him. Take, for instance, this woman named Lydia. It says in verse 15, Acts 16, verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. But notice something. If God, it was God who opened up Lydia's heart. If you go back to Acts 16, verse 14, it says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe in the gospel. And how does Lydia respond? She opens her home. It is highly likely that it was Lydia's home that was the first church home for the church in Philippi. They didn't meet meet in a building like you and I can today. They met in a house, much like the house you might even live in. The church in Philippi probably most likely met at Lydia's house. And I love this about Lydia. God opened Lydia's heart to receive the gospel and she believed. She trusted in Jesus, and then she opened up her home. And so here's the question for you and for me today. Like, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if Jesus Christ is the Lord over your life, it is because God opened your heart to receive the gospel. You did not receive the good news. You did not uh, believe in the gospel by your own merit and in your own way of thinking. It is God and God alone who opened your heart to receive that good news. And if God has opened your heart to believe the gospel, then in what ways have you made yourself open and available to be used by God for the advancement of this gospel? Maybe you need to write that down. Maybe you need to think about that. So I'll say it again. If God has opened your heart to believe in the gospel, then in what ways have you made yourself open and available to be used by God for the advancement of the gospel? This was the purpose of their partnership in the gospel with the church of Philippi and Paul, to advance the gospel. That was their purpose. So often, we take that word fellowship and we attach it to two friends who are just having coffee. Two Christian friends who are just having coffee or maybe even a group of Christians who are just hanging out in somebody's home and we call that fellowship. Sure, that that is fellowship. Like Socializing is a part of fellowship, but it's much more 
than just that. Like we get to partner together in taking the best news in the entire universe to the ends of the earth. Literally, what is better than that? That is like what drives my whole life is I get to play a part in the greatest news in the universe and I get to share that and be a part of sharing that all over the world. I don't think there's anything better than that. Like true fellowship is working alongside one another, using our gifts and our talents and our resources and yes, our money for the sake of the gospel to be known to all people throughout the whole world. And Paul says, when we fellowship with one another, when we partner together for this gospel, like sure, we, we recognize our differences. We're not all the same. We have different gifts and unique talents. But at the very same time, we find unity in Christ. We use what God has uniquely gifted all of us for the purposes of this same end goal, to share the good news about Jesus. And when we partner together, when we commit ourselves to this great purpose of making Christ known throughout the entire world, well, then that's when the mission of Jesus actually begins to reach people, not only all over the world, but even in our own neighborhoods and community. Like your partnership in the gospel, and yes, I'm speaking to you right now as an individual, your partnership in the gospel will ultimately depend on how surrendered you are to Jesus. Your partnership in the gospel will ultimately depend on how surrendered your life is to Jesus. So here's maybe some probing questions for you. Are you a slave to Christ? Or are you a slave to the world? Do you find satisfaction and joy in knowing Jesus? Or do you find satisfaction and joy in the things of this world? Like is Jesus your life? Or for you, is life found in material things and status and career and title and money, and income, and the car you drive, and the house that you live in, is that what defines your life, or does Jesus define your life? So maybe you're watching or listening right now, and you don't even financially give to a church, like, or maybe you used to, you just haven't in a while, like, there's no judgment on you, by the way, but, but maybe your next step in partnering with the local church that you attend is you start giving financially to the church, not out of religious obligation or religious duty, but because you believe that the, the, the money that you give to the church actually helps take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like the money that you give to the church is actually being used for the advancement of the gospel. What if you actually believe that? Well, now you've just become a partner with God Almighty for the advancement of his gospel all over the world, in your own neighborhood, in your own community, perhaps even in your own home. But maybe some of you, a way for you to partner in the gospel is Maybe you just start praying. Like maybe you, you don't pray that often or you don't feel like you pray enough or maybe the only people that you pray for is the people in your immediate family. Like that's okay, but God wants us to think bigger. So maybe a way for you to partner with others and your local church in the advancement of the gospel is to pray for the mission and the vision of the church at large. Like I'm talking about the big C global church, but yes, of course, also the local church that you attend. What if you started to pray specifically for things like the mission of that church? the vision of that church? What if you were to, to start praying for the leaders of your church, the pastor of your church, the, the children's people of your church, the, the, the members of the church who serve, who aren't on staff, but they serve and they teach the kids? What if you started praying for them? What if you started praying that God would raise up and equip more people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? What if you started praying for, for, for God to raise up more people within his church to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. People who still today have never heard of the gospel. People who still today, they don't have scripture in their native tongue. They've never heard the name of Jesus. What if you started to pray 
for, for God to raise up, for churches to raise up and equip people to go to those places, to translate Scripture, to preach the Gospel, to plant churches, to make disciples. What if you started praying for things like that? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more people into the harvest field. It might surprise you that even today, the harvest is still plentiful. The workers are still few. Like, God, we need to, the church needs to rise up and raise up and equip more people to go to places where the gospel has not yet gone. What if you started a partner in the gospel and started praying? You're not giving in a sense that you have to feel more obligated to give more than you are. You're just simply starting to pray for things that maybe you never prayed for because God will hear your prayers. God will be faithful to answer those prayers because this is the desire of God's heart to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe a next step for you in partnering with the gospel is you need to go on a mission trip. You've been attending church for who knows how long and you've never been on a cross-cultural mission trip. Or maybe it's just you need to start a Bible study with maybe some close friends of yours who might not be connected with a church or who might not be following Jesus. Maybe you just need to actually start sharing the gospel with people. Like, like maybe you just you haven't done that. You, you keep coming to church you're hearing um, someone talk about Jesus, but you're not using what you're learning out in everyday life. Maybe you just need to simply start sharing the gospel with other people. You need to start putting into practice what you learned. So perhaps some of you are thinking, you know, Nate, I don't know. I don't have a Bible degree. I, I, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I don't, I don't stand behind the pulpit and, and preach the word of God. I don't have an education. Certainly not like the Apostle Paul had. I, you know, I wasn't raised in the church like many of my Christian friends. Well, here's what I want to tell you. You know the Bible, you know the Bible says that the devil, the enemy, the, the great deceiver who hates and wants to devour Christians? The Apostle Peter writes this, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour people like you and me, Christians. And if you think that way, that you're, because you're not a preacher, or you're not a pastor, or you're you weren't raised in the church or you didn't go to seminary, if you, don't, if you think that you can't be used by God because you're not those things, then the devil is prowling around devouring your mind and the way you're thinking right now. You do not need a Bible degree to change the world for Jesus. You just need to be available and open for God to use you. You just need to be open, just like Lydia was open. I want to end with this story. Uh, a good friend of mine who's actually... Good friend, some good friends of mine. Uh, my friend Courtney, her dad actually, her name, his name is Chris Shallowit. Chris is 58 years old, so he's roughly my dad's age. Chris has been all over the world sharing the gospel in different countries all over the world, using his gifts and his talents that God has given him to share the gospel with people all over the world. So Chris is 58 years old, and for his whole life, he has worked in construction, building houses and renovating houses and things of that nature. So Chris is not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He's not a staff member of a church. Chris works in construction. Well, Chris has also partnered with and worked um, with a mission organization that started out of his church called Mana Worldwide. And so Chris has literally gone all over the world raising his own support, mind you, building children orphanages, feeding centers, literally building churches from the ground up, and even things like bunk beds and Ronald McDonald houses, which uh, actually takes in kids who are underprivileged so they can stay there while they're getting cancer treatments. Like, I've seen him, actually, I was on a trip with him in Honduras four and a half years ago. I saw him do some of the things that he's done all over the world. God has taken Chris, this construction worker, all over the world, 
He's been to Romania eight times, Ukraine 16 times, Guatemala and Honduras both 10 times. He's been to Chile six times. He's been to Belize, Russia, and the Philippines, and many more places. Chris has even built a coffee shop in Denver, Colorado, which is owned by, or at least they rent it from an owner, with Mana Worldwide, that missions organization, where all of the profit that the coffee that they sell goes to feeding kids in orphanages at these feeding centers all over the world. And they, when they built this coffee shop in Denver, Colorado, they thought, man, it would be really cool if even we could make $10,000 in profit to give towards feeding children all over the world. Like, that would be a big win for us. But that first year, they, they made a profit that exceeded sixty to $70,000 in their first year with 100% of that profit goes to feeding kids who are starving all over the world. In fact, Mano Worldwide, this, this mission that Chris is a part of, they feed 24,000 kids every single day. And every single day, all over the world, in places like Russia, the Ukraine, Guatemala, they're hearing the good news about Jesus every single day. You see, Chris, he's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He's not a staff member at a church. He, he works in construction. Chris, does, he's worked in construction his whole life, yet he has made an impact for the glory of Jesus in different countries all over the world. Why? Because Chris was willing and able and open and made himself available to be used by God for the advancement of the gospel. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a staff member on church. When Jesus looked at his disciples, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. And Jesus looked at those very men before he ascended into heaven. And what did he say? Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news. Actually, this is the best part. I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. Until your work on this earth is done, I will be with you. What does, what does Jesus say at the end of the Gospel of Mark? Go out and preach the Gospel in all the world. That word preach, it's not stand behind a pulpit, just a few of you, and preach the Gospel. No, it says, it means proclaim the Gospel. That word preach at the end of the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus says go out and preach the Gospel to the whole world, He's saying go out and simply proclaim the good news. And we are all called to proclaim the good news in some form or fashion in our lives and in our ministry. And so the question is, are you open and are you available to letting God use you for the advancement of the gospel and for you as an individual to partner in some way for the sake of the gospel, for the spread of the gospel, whether that's in your neighborhood, in your community, or all over the world, are you available and open for God to use you? Because God will and can and desires to use you to partner with Him, God Almighty, for the advancement of the gospel. Do you want that? Are you open to that? And have you made yourself available for that? Uh, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this letter that Paul writes. It's so insightful. It's so amazing. And it just helps me, um, just as a Christian, to, to want more for, for people to know Jesus, to partner with you, to partner with the church, to partner with other Christians, to share the gospel, to to be a part of taking the gospel wherever it needs to go. Father, I thank you that this word encourages us. God, I thank you that you're alive right now and working in the life of the church. And God, that we are not doing this alone, that we are not um, laboring for the sake of the gospel by ourselves, but God Almighty, you are with us through your spirit. So Father, I pray for anyone who maybe has just been standing idly by watching the church progress and do the work that they're doing for the gospel, yet they've been standing by not playing a part and the mission that you have set before us. God, I pray over their lives right now that you would encourage them, that you would lead them 
and guide them in a way where they can partner with the church for the sake of the gospel. God, we love you. We thank you that you're with us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.